Thunder Nerds are go. Back again. Back again for another week of uh, Doctor Who a retrospective. We're up to um, Father's Day today. Hooray, it's Father's, Father's Day. Day. Father's Day. Father's Day. Father's Day. Father's Day. It's Father's Day. Yeah, we're here with Doctor Who Father's Day. Uh, series 1, Episode 8. Mm. Good to be back on the Doctor Who train. Um, this one is written by Paul Cornell. And this is his um, first televised story. Whoa. First? Yeah, this is his first it's quite a, first televised Doctor it's quite, Who story. Quite a um, quite a what would you say a home run for a first one? I'd say. Oh, he hits it out of the park, doesn't he? Um, he at this point. So Russell, for this first series of Doctor Who, he had got on board for it. Uh, Stephen Moffat, who had done i think he must have done coupling at this point and whatnot he had done the curse of the fatal death for doctor who he was an avid doctor who fan classic but he hadn't done classic any who. classic amongst uh if, anyway if you guys haven't seen curse of the fatal death you gotta see it that's uh it's, it's classic so good. so good man yeah it's we quote we quote it we quote it all the time we quote it all the time it's awesome yeah it's a, it's very very good so that was steven's first thing we had robert shearman who when he came on board for Series 1 doing Dalek, he had uh, written a few um, instrumental um, Doctor Who stories for Big Finish with Colin Baker and Paul McGann's Doctors. And he got Mark Gatiss on board, who was an avid Doctor Who fan again, and then he gets Paul Cornell, who was kind of like the Rob Shearman of the novel range with the seventh doctor and whatnot so paul cornell had was quite renowned with novels rob Sheerman with the audios and then moffat and gatus big fans of the show so he had gotten on board a really key team for this first season of doctor who um to really kind of go i want to knock this out of the park i know they'd done a lot of like cafe meetings all together to talk about their scripts and kind of give each other ideas and whatnot and i really think that this season is extremely refined and lean with its story i want to ask you indigo and who is the alpha yes please writer of of um new who like who who's the one where they go to the cafe they start pitching ideas and then when it's this 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 person's time to talk everyone's like oh my god you're so fucking brilliant like jesus can you like give me some notes on my script you're just so fucking over overpowered who who is that is that is that the moth would the moth be that that writer maybe maybe um i'm not sure like i think the moth the moth in terms of like volume of work in new doctor who is the the absolute alpha uh, so just different different styles cool for different people moffat, maybe well i think i think what's cool with moffat is he 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 was the clear standout guest writer over a period of time for Russell T Davies' tenure for instance where we're going to watch his story next in the lineup of Ninth Doctor um 
it was a it was an award winning story. I'm pretty sure he then goes on and does probably the best or one of the one of the best I would say stories of Tennant's first season, and then he does in Tennant's next season what people will regard as one of the the top like three stories of New Who. I don't agree with that personally, just because I think there are other ones that have succeeded since that are that are better. But I understand why they would say you understand that at the, the time. sentiment, and then I understand the sentiment, and then. <laughs> And then in Tennant's last season, he writes another absolute knockout story. So he was the clear one, if you were to say, like, oh, who's going to succeed Russell T Davies? It was like almost, it was just written in the stars that that was going to happen, I think. Like, he was the clear successor. Whereas I think Moffat in his own era, he was also the knockout writer most of the time. Uh, he had a few, he, 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 he couldn't keep the run-up that he had with Russell. Like, he strikes nearly 9 out of 10 to 10 out of 10 stories in each Russell story that well, he does. showrunner, you're just fucking having to handle so much Showrunner, shit, you've got you know? so much more, and it's a testament that he mm. still knocks a lot of stories out and then he misfires a little, but he's still probably the clear, like... Is a Moffat misfire... The, the clear master is a, mm, of his, like... Is a Moffat, mm, is a Moffat misfire still quite good? In your eyes? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I think so, Okay, interesting. Personally. I think I can... I, there's ones that are, like... You go, oh, that's not that great, and you look at it, and maybe next to some other stories of other writers, and you go, it's probably like a seven or eight out of ten, maybe. If wow, that's pretty good. Those are good ones. averages. Really but, good averages. So, but but he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Like when he misfires, I think. Whereas when Russell misfires, uh, we get um, we get the sixtieth anniversary. We get the sixtieth anniversary, people. We get the sixtieth, or you get ones that are coming up in the first tenant season, which we'll talk All about. Right. When but they, you know, we're right. not here talking about Moffat. We're here talking about Father's Day. And um, can I say this? I reckon there is a writer who that was around that table that is a badass. Who? And I've 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 done extensive research on him. Because I just find it fascinating that he only wrote one story. Ooh, he's a bit of a maverick. And then dropped he's a bit of a maverick. And then just disappeared. Just, just showed up. said, I'm not doing another. The man of no name. He just like, he just rolled into town yeah. and kicked ass and yeah. then he disappeared. And that is Robert Shearman. Oh, like, Robert. Rob Shearman, oh, Robert when he wrote, like, he, he penned Dalek. It's probably the best Dalek story in New Who. Maybe one of the best Dalek stories. Oh, I think actually definitely one of the best stories of, like Dalek stories ever, right? Uh, he drops the mic, walks out. He'd already penned probably like two of the best six Doctor stories in any medium, right? He had penned probably the eighth Doctor's best story as well in audio form. So he's got a real good. Do, track do we record. know what happened I to? See, do we know what? Ha- do we know what happened to Robert Schumann? I heard that he just didn't enjoy the process of working on the show and said, I'm not going to do it again. And they they've, they tried to get him back. I know Moffat tried extensively oh to get him back for his first season as head writer. But he we need to investigate work, this. There was a script. We need to investigate this Thunder Nerds. We have, we have so the entire resources of the Thunder Nerds organization at our, at our disposal. We need to figure out where is, where Robert, is Robert Sherman. We need Robert Sherman back. Robert Sherman. Get him back for more Doctor people Who. People say... Oh, bring back Russell. Russell will save Doctor Who. Yes, maybe it's gonna. Maybe we haven't seen the new season yet, but but maybe what the the secret weapon is is Robert Shearman because after seeing Get Father's Day, him back. that's Doctor Who. That's the Doctor Who I, I I love, and we'll get into it soon, Thunder Nerds. But where is Robert Shearman? 
What's he doing? Where is Robert Chiman? Paul Cornell. Now, let's quickly get back to Father's Day. Paul Cornell, who writes Father's Day, he writes another knockout story in Tenant's third season. And then he, again, also never returns for a televised story of Doctor Who, which is a shame because his two stories are knockouts as well. What are with these one-punch um, knockout people in Doctor Who? Like, they just show up once, fucking own it, kick ass, just just absolutely, like, leave a legacy and then they... they they peace out. Like, what is it? What is? Is the BBC just that fucking horrible to work with? Is is Christopher Eccleston correct in that they were just horrible people to work with? And maybe, know. maybe that's Good like, question. is that collaborating evidence for for, for I mean, the Eccleston case? I mean, most of the most of the writers though do come back. Mm, true. The, in in New Doctor Who, most all the other Doctors mm. have multiple series. I know, and it's and it's very like well known knowledge that series one was a bit of a clusterfuck behind the scenes in every sense of the word. Like it just, it was their first time doing it. it they were probably given more money than they'd been used to. It was a, probably a bigger show than a lot of these people at the time were used to. It's like having Russell, Julie, and Phil Collinson and all that come back and do the sixtieth and beyond with Judy Gatwa. They probably have come on board going, we've done this before now. We know what we're doing. We know what to expect. And now we've got Disney money. Let's 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 do it. Whereas when they did series one, everything I've read is that it was just a clusterfuck on all ends. Mm. Like it was just very, like, it was just hard to put together. And you had professionals like Christopher Eccleston trying to do a job and, and he wasn't very forgiving with them about it. You know, there was a lot of elements. We've talked about this off like, the mic. No, this is just isn't good We've enough. talked about this off the mic, mm. off the mic, Thunderdirts. And gosh, like out of all the doctors, uh, Chris is the one I least would want to give me a grilling, <laughs> give me a fucking dressing down. I would not want to be on the, the receiving end of Chris's fury, mate. Like the other doctors are pretty much, the, I don't, maybe Tom is a, I reckon could fucking dress you down. Something shocking if. What would you do if? What would you do if tenant shouted? So, tenant, mate, it's like, oh god, mate, come on now. You're like, you're like the drama kid in high school. Like, you know, you're not, you're not super frightening. Like, you're a nice kid. I'm, I was that kid, people. I was that drama kid. So I'm not, I'm not throwing what shade. Would you, what would you have done I'd, if, uh, like, mate, just. What would you have done if, like, Pertwee sat you down and you didn't ever raise a Pertwee's voice like, just gave you the Pertwee, sternest you like, you hang your head in shame and you, like, you sort of twiddle your thumbs and you, like, like like a kid, like, in the naughty corner and you're just so ashamed mm. to look at him. But with with Chris, I'd be, you'd just be, you'd just be shaking. Like, you'd be shaking with, like, abs, abs, actual fear. You I know feel. what Chris would do? Chris would, like, do that thing where, like, he talks and then he shouts and then he He'd talks, be like this. And then he I just weeds so, you out with I am so fucking disappointed in you <laughs> yeah. now yeah, like, anything yeah. happens again you'll be the fucking one at the end of this <laughs> you know what i mean that's yeah. kind of what it would be like and like but i feel like tom would be very um <laughs> tom would just be like so yes you are such a pathetic little piece of piece of work aren't you little boy like yeah, what would what would Tom do? Tom, he'd, 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 Tom would be scared. Oh, stop it, you whining girl! Useless, you're useless. You know, he probably he'd probably start like just making you feel really terrible. Feel terrible, you know. But I feel like it wouldn't be fright. It's frightening. It'd be kind of like it'd be just like your teacher when your teacher gets, is upset. But it's like, but I feel like Chris is like, it's like it's it's like if 
I'm, I'm going to say this, people. Can it's I, like if Je- it's like yeah. if Jesus Christ got mad at you or something. Like that, that sounds weird. Yeah. That's a weird like analogy for for people to maybe wrap their head around. <laughs> but I'd imagine like just the, the absolute <laughs> fear and shame you would feel if if Chris just was like so disappointed in you. But what about this? On. What about this? Mm-hmm. What if I reckon if if Peter Capaldi got in your face and started ripping you to shreds, you would be fucking scared. Peter would do. Peter oh, would, would smile would. while he's doing it, though. I feel he'd be smiling oh. and he'd be like so oh, soft-spoken, God. wouldn't he? Oh, uh, look, let's be know. real. Davidson would be pff, I'm laughing stock. I was gonna say, what, what would you? Davidson would be like, <laughs> stop it, stop. <laughs> What would he say? He'd be like, he'd be like, oh, oh. please just don't go out there. I, I, you've ruined everything. You're, you're really, really, really bad. You're very bad. You, you know. What about, what about, what about like Troughton and Sylvester? Tra- they're so short. Tra- You'd almost look tra- down tra- at them. Like- Troughton, I don't think, I wouldn't want to disappoint him. It'd be like, I want to be his friend. So like, I would feel sad. He, he'd probably be like, he'd be like, um, you know, I'm really like you let me down. That's what he would say. Something like that, you know. You've let me down, Joshua. About, you've let me you've about, let me down, Indigo. You've let me down. This? I have to what I have about, to drop you off. You can't come at my adventures anymore. You've let me down. That's what he would say. What about what about Sylvester? Like he's that same height. He's he, sure he's a little bit more intimidating than Trout, though, isn't he? Trout uh, uh, Sylvester's like he, he wouldn't say anything. I think he'd just look at you like. Mm. He's like he's playing like, chess in his mind with you. Uh, William Hartnell will just be fucking look. I love the guy, but he'd be like a grandpa. My grandpa's upset with you. Be like, all right, yeah, you granddad, just, yeah, granddad, just right. go back to sleep. All right, it's bedtime. Yeah, it's six p.m. All right, it's bedtime. Come on, all right. Bedtime, <laughs> like, but but I feel like um. Yeah, like like Chris, mate, is really scary. Yeah. We see some like moments in this. Like if, I feel like if genuinely most handsome doctor, I would say, like as in like like conventionally just like handsome, handsome mm-hmm. man. It, I would I would say Paul McGann. Paul McGann in the in the TV Paul, mo- Paul? movie is a very. Mm-hmm. If Paul McGann tried to give you a dressing down, you get lost in his eyes. Paul McGann would be like. Would be like um. Be like hello there. So it'd be like Pierce Brosnan giving you a dressing down. You know? Yeah, he's like he's like the thing about the thing about Paul McGann is he's a charming. Hello there, like it's me. Like uh, I'm very disappointed in you, Josh. And you go, I and you go, you go, yes, Paul. You get lost in his eyes, bit like, lost with those golden locks and shit. Like it doesn't work with Paul McGann, unfortunately. The, the only two doctors that would probably properly scare you are Christopher. No, three. Christopher Eccleston would scare you if Peter Capaldi absolutely had like a, a I feel fit like Peter, of rage Peter. and started swearing. Mm. He, he would scare you. He goes into thick Tom of it Baker mode. Th- the thick of it mode. A, mate. Yeah, thick of it mode would freak you out. The Tom Baker's unpredictable. Tom Baker's unpredictable. I feel. Yeah, I feel like he'd poison you. Colin, Colin <laughs> Baker's like fat, jolly Father Christmas. Colin Baker's like. It's like. You know? It's like when your, your your uncle gets upset. It's like, oh, come on, like you kind of make it a fool of yourself, you know. No, I can smell and your dandruff in those curls, Colin. Like, Please. I, like the, like the only two, yeah, the only two doctors, the three doctors where I'd probably poo my pants, Chris, Peter Capaldi, Tom Baker. Yep. Chris, the most amount of poo, I'd say. 
Oh, definitely, definitely. It'd be absolutely unpredictable as well. Like it can't come out all at once. I think, but I think, I think, yeah, like, with, yeah, I think, I think so. like with the other doctors, it's more mm. just shame. Like oh, I've let you down. Yeah, I've let down my friend. Like you know, like this. I think, I think, I think I'd really feel. I feel like John Pertwee's the kind of guy where like he would be so kind, so gentle, and then when he when he gets when he gets I'm really disappointed in you. you, you <laughs> He would he would just sit you down and tell you that, yeah. and you'd feel fucking awful, awful about yourself you'd for like absolutely for, for, for letting. Let me tell you this like now. Just, you know what I mean. I've warned you once enough. You're putting everyone at danger. Like he'd he'd be like, it's like um in the th- the three doctors, you know, when he's like going off at mm. uh, Troughton, and, mm. you know, mm. and like Joe is almost in the in the cross crosshairs a bit, you know, and he sort of like fucking tells her off a bit. It's like that. Yeah. Mate. Yeah, I think that yeah, I think that John would be, but yeah, I think that's people. You've just heard uh, a little bit of a tangent on um, what it would be like to get a dressing down from the doctors. So there you go. It the Christopher Eccleston clear, clear out and out winner, and I think you're absolutely right. I, his face would go red, veins popping. That would be oh. freaking. I wouldn't want to be on the end of that shit. <laughs> and let's just say this, Thunder Nerds, as we bring this back on course and we'll we'll get into the deep dives shortly. We'll go for high-level thoughts in a moment, but Rose gets a bit of a dressing down in this So story. I'm saying this is what that triggered Chris. this tangent. Like, like Rose, mm. he, he fucking borderline abuses her <laughs> in, this, in this story. Like, okay, let's go into high-level thoughts, people. 18 minutes in now, okay. we haven't even done high-level thoughts. So my high-level thoughts... Brilliant. I love this story. I've seen it before with you. I think you showed me like about a year ago. We watched it again, obviously, recently. Okay. Yep. Loved it. Just love love it. Really love it. Um, Great concept. There's probably, you know, there's a few things you can nitpick, I guess, like nearer to the end. I think I, I recall there was some confusion with with a few certain things that we'll get into, but nah, for me, I just, I really adore this story. Yep. Um... I'm the same. I think that it's uh, one of Christopher Eccleston's great Doctor performances, and it's one of the the very very high points of what is already a very consistent season. You know, like some Doctors could only dream in a season to have stories like Dalek and Father's Day, and this is only two of maybe like five top top tier episodes that we get in this season four of which well yeah sorry like it, it, it we're still we've still got four high high quality episodes left of this season to watch and and dalek and father's day are just on top of them just kind of crazy you know like it's just a strong episode of doctor who what is its intention its intention is to teach its audience a little bit about the laws of time travel, right? So I think that's just what's so strong about this season. It's like it takes its time over its 13-episode run to do multiple things, and and they do. there is varying degrees of success, right? We, we slowly learn what the time war is. We don't know exactly... Like, the, we, we learn fast that TARDIS is stuck as a police box. It's an interesting detail. We learn later on in Dalek that he's got two hearts. We didn't know that up until that point. 
learn more about the sonic screwdriver. We might learn about that the Daleks fought the Doctor in the Time War, right? We learn a bit of that PTSD story. We we get to explore to maybe not it's it's not a great story overall, but we do get to explore what makes a bad companion in Adam in the long game, and then they follow it up with, well, Rose also is fallible as well. She's not perfect, but it's just got so many great things that it explores in this one season, I think. And high-level thoughts from me on this, it's one of the absolute high points of Series 1. And and really, Paul Cornell does knock it out of the, out of the park, I think. Um, and he'll do so again in a couple of seasons. So let's go and talk before we get into the deep dive. I want to quickly touch on, this is directed by Joe Ahern. Now, Joe, I couldn't see that he's done anything else in Doctor Who past season one, but he directs Dalek in this season, he directs Father's Day, he directs Boomtown, and then he directs both episodes of the two-part season final of this season. And he went on after this to win uh, awards. I think he got his first BAFTA nomination for this series work. And then he went on and did other shows after that and doesn't return to Doctor Who. But, God, all his stories are great. That's all I'll say. All the stories that he directs are strong, and I wonder why he didn't come back. I know there was one director that Chris stayed on very good terms with and said he was just an amazing director this, and I actually have a feeling it might be this director, but I could be wrong. Uh, I know he had some problems with some directors of the se- of the series, but there was one that he stayed in contact with and said he's just a top bloke, and it could be this director. So, yeah, I think he's actually gone on record as well, Chris, um, saying that this is his favourite story, and Billy Piper's done the same. This is their favourite story of this season, uh, both of them. Um, so that's cool. We'll go through some trivia, but before I do that... It is starring Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper, of course. It was broadcast first on the 14th of May in 2005. I'll read you the episode synopsis. Rose travels back to 1987 to witness the day her father died, but when she interferes in the course of events, the monstrous reapers are unleashed upon the world. Okay, I'm going to read the um, trivia now. I thought this one was interesting. Simon Pegg was originally cast as Rose's father, Pete Tyler. Because of scheduling conflicts, he chose the role of the editor in the long game. What's your thoughts on that? I thought that that was quite interesting. Like, I don't think... I think that's a huge miscast in my like, mind. Like, I'm glad that you think, didn't go you think, you think Simon Pegg was a uh, miscast for the father? I think so, yeah. Oh, uh, I could see it working. Um... He's just not as deadbeat, though, I think. He doesn't have the same deadbeat yeah. sort of quality. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, um, oh, goodness me, like the name of um, Rose's father in the story, it, it does evade me right now. But I just think he's, an, he's such a, it's a really strong performance from him in this story. Uh he just hits it on. He's really understated. I feel he do, he doesn't overplay his hand at all. His name's Sean Dingwall, and he he doesn't overplay his hand whatsoever. In my mind, I think that he's he really sells it. And I just 
maybe it's just because I've seen this story so many times. I just cannot imagine anybody else uh, playing Rose's father in my mind, let alone Simon Pegg, who, you know, his performance in the long game is uh, is debatable. Like I don't, I don't, don't mind it. it. Don't but, love it. Um, Sorry, it's very. Don't, yeah, don't, it's pretty by the no, books. Uh, long game was a long way from this, mate. I'll tell you that much. Oh yeah, oh, I agree on that front. Like this is definitely not the long game. This is a this is a lot stronger of a story than that. Um, another bit of trivia for you: Russell T Davies and Paul Cornell debated whether it should have been Rose's plan all along to save her father, as in since you know she started traveling with the doctor. No, that's too malicious. Uh, this- that's too. I feel like that's too. That would kind of ruin the character, make her a little bit sneaky. Yeah. Well. What'd you say? Yeah, so the, the trivia goes on to say this is left ambiguous in the episode. Billy Piper went on to say that she felt that it did not occur to Rose until after she began travelling to think of this. So essentially saying it wasn't it wasn't planned all along. Mm. Um, the Doctor does throw that theory up in the episode. He says, you know, you didn't want to come with me like when I told you I travel in space and then I told you it was a time machine and you did. So he throws that in and... I think it's a good idea to throw it in and leave it ambiguous. I think, like you said, if they had committed to it, that she'd, you know, she'd plan this whole thing this whole time would absolutely change her character in your mind and make it seem like it was a malicious thing for her to have done and a conniving thing to have done. So I think it's probably right that they didn't do that. You agree on that? I agree. Um, And then, yeah. Chris Rickson and Billy Piper, like I said before, another bit of trivia, named it as their favourite episode. Good one to name, I think. Um, so let's get into the deep dive then. Uh, the pre-title sequence. Starts with Rose talking about her father. Mm. Uh, we learn that he died... In 1987. Um, And we see Jackie kind of... With a younger Rose. Uh, She doesn't look that much younger, does she, Jackie? No, that's... uh, We Um, we pointed that out, kind of. It's one of those things, even the costumes are not very 80s. It's it's kind of shoestring budget. I think I saw some modern cars, like, here and there. Like, you just accept it, people. It's It's... BBC on a budget, you know. Yeah. So we've got we've got Pete. We find out that he's died, and we find out that there was no one there. It was a hit and run driver, and no one was was with him. And it pulls it kind of pulls away from that to reveal that this narration we're hearing is Rose in the TARDIS recalling all of this to the Doctor and kind of saying, "I want to be that one." that's there with him when he dies and the doctor the doctor does say well yeah he 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 says you know my wish is your command but be careful what you wish for but he does he does grant her I like this about Chris in this I like this about Chris in this story we we see he's not perfect he will cave Mm. like if he really likes you he'll bend the rules a little bit for you and I like seeing that, mm. like, I liked seeing that that line 
We get to see a little bit of that line and we see him cross a little bit at the start. You can tell he's really not comfortable doing this, but he'll do it for Rose, you know? Yeah. Um, and then obviously we go, We she misses her opportunity to, um, to, to, to be with him and then they go back one more time and he's like, okay, for real this time, this is the last time we can do this. All right, this is not great. All right, we have to wait for our other selves to leave. Then you can go be with him. And then all shit, fucking all shit falls apart from there. And I really yeah, like that. Yeah, it almost has like that, the way that it's shot, it's got that, uh, I guess, Prisoner of Azkaban vibe mm. to, to how the time travel's used and Back to the Future vibe mm. where we see the characters from an alternate point of view and... And like you said, you know, the Doctor's... It's kind of surprising, isn't it, to see Christopher Eccleston's Doctor go, one, okay, I'll let you be with him. Then they get there. It's great dialogue. Um, the very beginning when they step out of that, out of the TARDIS, she looks around and she goes, it just looks like... Like, it just looks like an ordinary day. I, I don't know what I was expecting in my mind, but like... It just looks so normal. And I guess she's thought about this day so much um, since she was a little girl. And now she's here and uh, I don't know, what would you expect? It's just really nice dialogue to, to set the scene. And when she doesn't run to him, she almost freezes, doesn't she? Mm. Like when she sees it actually happen in front of herself, she just freezes up. And then she kind of begs the doctor a little bit, like he just can't die on his own. Can I try one more time? And he does bend that rule, like you said. He uh, he knows that they really can't be here. And now, now they've got two sets of them, like you said. It's a very dire situation. He lays out that rule to her. This is what you've got to do. Wait, wait for her to run off and for him to follow and then you go to your dad, but we cannot do this again. And Rose just, it's like, it doesn't look planned in my mind. No, it's not. It just looks no. like she sees it, an opportunity all of a sudden <laughs> that second time. It's yeah. like she's processed the what she saw the first time, the shock of it, and the second time she's, there's like a flicker of an impulse and it's like her legs her legs just do it. Like, she would have done it the first time. Doing it. She would have done it the first time. I feel if she, if she had planned to, to save him, she would yep. not have watched him die the first time. Yeah, yeah. And then the second time, she just runs, doesn't mm. she? She just runs out in front. She saves his life, uh, and it's really yeah, it's played really well. I mean, I don't really know what to say. Like, she's shocked that he's alive. He's kind of going, "Look, I got to get to a wedding," and. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to just fucking step out in front of the car, was I? Like, I obviously saw it coming, but he was going to die. You know, but it's like the guy who was meant to die, he's not dead anymore. And his justification is, I was going to get, of course I was going to get away, of course. Like, he doesn't know that he was meant to die there at this point. And, and then we go back to her house and Rose starts to see her father in the way that her mum had always told her I suppose and so she's seeing all the little inventions 
that she was told that he always used to do. He was, oh, he was such a brilliant mind. You know, her mum's told her and whatnot, and he was always going to do this and that. It was, it was taken too soon before he could make any of these little crazy schemes work and whatnot. Mm. And we see the doctor really. I mean, he leaves the room for a second, Pete Tyler, and uh, the doctor is absolutely ropeable. And <laughs> ropeable is a good Josh word. Just pointed yeah. something out. Yeah, he is ropeable, and 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 it's interesting because Josh points something out to me that I'd never noticed, right? In this, uh, in and I've watched this story a lot, and maybe my focus has just always been on Piper and Sean during those scenes. But Josh mentioned something in the in the viewing when we were watching it together, and he said, "Go oh, look at Chris there," and I I looked at him and I went, "Shit, that's great. That's such great detail. Like he." He he's he's almost looking through Pete when Pete's kind of showing them around the house mm. and whatnot. He knows he's it's got a this dead man. Kind of thing yeah, where it's like he knows. he knows it's a dead man walking, yeah. and he's not trying to be rude. He's like, I know, I he, have to, I have he to. He also doesn't give him much. He's like, I right, look, this is. Um, he's like talking to a hologram because he's like, yeah, you're mm. meant to be dead. I'm gonna go back and fix this, and you're gonna be dead. It's it's kind of very yeah. bizarre. You know, it's really interesting. You can see it in his eyes. He kind of gives a nod and a mm, smile. It's polite, Pete, like yeah. He's waiting for Rose to, uh, well, for Pete to leave the room because he's about to give Rose a dressing down. He he doesn't care that that's her father. He doesn't give a shit. Like you know, uh, he, he he is going to grill her whether she likes it or not when he leaves that room, and he does. Uh, he says, "Listen, I told you, time machine." Uh, and then you, what, then you come along with me? Like, have you planned this whole thing? And she goes, no, I just, I saw it happening in the moment she's talking about, and I thought I could, you know, I thought I could help. And he goes, I've done it again. I've picked another stupid ape, he calls her. And he and he goes on to say, you know, it's it's never about you doing something for the universe. It's about the universe doing something for you. And a, a, a kind of heated conversation in, ensues where she's going, you know, he's not a, he's not going to be a politician or a world leader or anything. He's just a normal bloke. And the doctor can't stress enough that, like, that is the point. Like, a normal person who was not alive before is now alive. And he kind of says that it's the most important thing in creation. Like, he's really kind of ropeable about this whole situation. And she's going, well, this and that. Like, I, okay, so if I'm, it's okay. For one, you're not the most important man in my life. And he's going, listen, my whole fucking planet's dead. My planet died. My people died. Do you think I've never once thought about going back and saving them? Which infers that there's a way he could do it. Again, interestingly again, enough. it gets into the whole... The time war, like, is it really locked away? Can like, he, like, is it is just it locked away? I don't like, know. What, is he just making a point? Because the Can is of worms. he just trying to make a point of <laughs> like, of hey, do you think it never occurred? Uh, fi- figuratively speaking, you could say that he's just saying, do you think it's never occurred to me t- to do that? Yeah, like I'm, I'm trying to make a point to you that you can't fucking do that. My, my race is dead. My whole of si- my the civilization, my people have died. Yes. Like, and this is your father, so listen to me. But, but then it gets into the conversation of... So is this the doctor's... The doctor's mm, moral complexity. Is this the doctor's like, moral is compass? Is it his moral mm, compass talking? Mm, I want to know this. Mm, because he's against 
saving someone as insignificant as this crumb bum fucking British guy, all right? But at one point in classic Doctor Who, he was considering killing Davros, all right? Like at the point of traveling back in time and killing Davros, essentially. So well, the Daleks, or yeah. the Daleks, sorry, but like like an entire race of 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 creatures. So, is this morality passed down from the Time Lords? Is it his own morality that he sort of come up with throughout the you know the centuries of traveling? That's what I want to know. Like there, are, jog, you know, jog my memory, Indigo. Like, are there instances in Classic Who where he saves someone, like in travels back in time and saves someone? Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I, not that I can recall off the top of my head. I know that there's future stories of New Who where this whole, where all of this stuff comes up and the Doctor might have differing views. So it's an interesting question. Like, the character is inherently flawed in my mind mm. in that he chooses when... To apply his own standards. You know, the, mm. when he does it. Now, he does mention at times, I think he even mentions in this series, in, in series one, towards the end, like, that he can see everything that was, everything that is, and everything that ever could be. Like, he can see that in his mind as a Time Lord. And then in future series, um, other Doctors have similar things that they kind of say, in almost inferring that they've got, like, some kind of link to... Almost like a sixth just sense. Just the web of time, or how time yeah, can... How, how, what, what, is, yeah. what is okay to do, and what's in flux, or what's absolutely fixed. It's kind of interesting. Almost like, like a fourth dimensional sixth sense, kind of, where they can... Yeah. Intu- like, they intuitively know what would happen. They just intuitively know what could happen, or if something is, is like, passable, or if something's not. It's, it's really interesting. Here, so Here is something I, I about Doctor Who yeah. that I need to get off my chest, okay? Because the Doctor yep. travels into the far future he travels into the distant past there's no we've talked about this before there's no real present day for the doctor it's all relative to where he is if the doctor travels into the future and saves someone how is that different from him traveling into the past and saving someone because there is no present day for him it's all just a continuum that is in flux in in a way it's nothing's because nothing's predestined, is it? Like otherwise, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, because there's no we we established yep. that there is no present for the doctor in a in a way. Yep. Correct. It's like the present for the doctor is like whenever his companion is from. So essentially. So when like, when is saving because he the doctor will say will might save someone like falling off a cliff yep. or he'll he'll save an innocent person. Is he doing the same calculus in his head of like, oh my god, if I save this person, they might do this one day. I can I can see decades into the future what what this consequence will be. Is that for everyone? I would argue no. Mm. I would argue no, and I understand why why you're saying that, and that makes that's an interesting question to ask that I don't think a lot of people would think about. But I think that. I don't think he like put it this way like if that's going through his head he's he doesn't show it at all does mm. he do you know what does, I mean like mm. is he doing it maybe is it so like in the body I maybe mean, it's I think instinctual just, like as yeah. fans coming maybe I don't know but it's an interesting question to ask like when is the doctor's what does he consider to be present that's what I don't understand you I'll know, never the TARDIS understand is a time traveling mm. machine that he lives in like There's no present what is the doctor's present there is no present for him the only present there could be 
is when he has a human companion, they have their present, then he kind of takes that on as. Yeah, as but we've as established, present, like, like, like Jamie. Jamie's like, from the past. His present is different to Zoe, who's from the future. Yeah. Like so, the, what yeah. is the present? Is is saving someone in the year twenty sixty, the present, or is that the yeah. is that the future or is it the past? Because it might be the past for a companion that is from an even distant but, point in the future. You know. But yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's a, I, it's a really, it's a really good point. I don't, I don't know. I think that that's, you'll never get that answer with Doctor Who because, it's clearly, well, it's is it a plot hole. Would you call it a plot it's hole? Not a plot hole. It's just, it's, it's a, just a plot. It's a plot. It's a plot conundrum. It's very difficult to, yeah, to yeah, write yeah. around this sort of shit. I'd imagine like it's time travel stories yeah. that are notoriously fucking complicated so i don't blame anyone it's just i would love a story i would love to like learn about that there might be an answer out there like thunder nerds educate me please like i mean maybe there is i don't think there is personally i think that it'd be interesting if they gave an in-universe reason but i don't there's not one that that to my mind comes to i don't think they've ever tackled that but it is a really interesting like conundrum you're right um so so i suppose i mean it all comes back to, with this argument, there is there is multiple ways you could look at it. And I think I have to say that the Doctor is just a contrarian. Mm. I think that he chooses when when he thinks it's right or when when he's... Like, like he says to Rose, like she goes, you know, it's okay for you to go back and do something. And he says it to her, oh, that's not the point. Like, I know what I'm doing and you don't. Mm. So... He kind of just sees himself as, I don't know. I don't think he's always right. The Doctor's not infallible like, at all. Mm. So he can make he can make mistakes. I just think that he's arrogant enough or whatnot to, to think that he'll always get it right in a way. Um, but it is interesting. Yeah, I don't know. And in this case, like, you know, he's trying to make a point to her there are rules when you travel with me and you've just you've just kind of broken one and it's interesting because he doesn't just go oh fuck it like i'm taking him back and throwing him under that car see is it a principle he, thing or is it a consequence thing because the principle might be okay you can't change the past out of principle or is it you can't change the past to a certain extent because of the consequences. Like, obviously, he allows her to to be with him as he's dying. In a way, that's changing the past. You could assume that there was uh, no one with I think you know? I think that, like, I think it's a bit of a mix of the two when it comes to the, how the Doctor sees it, in, in just when he's travelling. Mm. I think that part of it would be the consequence and that could be the whole, like, you know, I can see everything that is or was or could be thing. Like someone being but with I him as he's dying. circumstance. Mm. Go on. I think in this circumstance, mm-hmm. it's not consequence. I think in this circumstance, he's pissed be- on, on principle. Mm. Like, this is I'm upholding the principle of my people, mm. and yeah, and and standing for something. And you've like broken it's like you're, the laws you're of doing time, something, as I've mm. told you to. So you're just like you know, you're I've just, told yeah. you not to. Yeah. You don't you don't know how it will affect time. I might know that. He's just an ordinary dude, and not, not you don't know change, that. But like but you, you, don't you know did that, that without my so consent. You've, you've just yeah. Exactly, you've you've really crossed a line doing that so, yeah. without without my consent. That's what I think he's. That's what he, that's what he's standing on. Now, what happens, right? Is they they the doctor goes back to the TARDIS. The TARDIS 
doesn't have an interior anymore when he gets back there. But here's the thing. He basically and threatens to leave her in the 1980s. He does threaten. Yeah, he that goes, was, this is goodbye. Give me the TARDIS key. That's fucking fine. That's weird, bro. Like, like for her, as far as Rose knows, she's just met this fucking guy and now she's stuck in the 1980s. Mm. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, he kind of later says, like, I never was going to leave. Oh. And she goes, I know. But, like, th- th- in that heat of the moment, well, you don't know. Like, he may have gone, fuck it. Like, oh, we don't know. Like, it's definitely the the biggest altercation thus far that these two characters have had. Um, where they really have it out with each other. And, and then, you know, okay, I'm going. See you later. Like, I'm going to go. He goes back to the TARDIS. There is no interior. He realizes that something's wrong and he's got to go, right? Meanwhile, we're with Rose. We're now on the way to the wedding uh, that he was always on his way to that on that fateful day. And yeah, it's interesting. Like when she when they arrive, Jackie really lays into Pete. And uh, we learn that he may have been having an affair or sleeping around with someone. Um, it's not confirmed, but there's the inference and Jackie's got her suspicions and then Jackie's, you know, oh, did he tell you he's this big businessman, this, that, and what we learn is that everything Jackie told Rose when she was a kid about her father was all essentially a lie. He wasn't like this great kind of businessman who had these scenes. He had daft fucking ideas that were probably never going to work, but... Jackie's told Rose about a father she really never had, which is a really kind of like, uh, it's really good writing and really simple, I think. And it's, but it's effective in the way that it's done. And when the doctor arrives back at the church and the reapers show up. I always thought when I was a kid that the reapers must show up any time that time is altered. This is a detail so I, I don't love. Being like very I like no. I remember when I was a when I was a kid like mm. being really confused in later stories a particular later story that we'll talk about one day like i remember going like where's the reapers like why aren't they showing up like is there a reason they're not showing up because like i've never seen them before now the doctor mentions in father's day um when in mid-conversation i think when they're in the church at one point a nice detail actually that like the older something is the stronger it is and the reapers can't quite get in They'll get in eventually, but like anything older kind of has more resonance and and power to it and renders them a little bit less effective. But he does mention in conversation at one point that his people would have stopped things like this happening, but they're all gone now. Inferring that when the Time Lords are around, this is maybe why we've never seen something like the Reapers before. But it's interesting that they never come back up in New Doctor Who. There's not many times where things happen where they would, but there is at least one thing I can think of in my mind where a significant thing happens and you never see them. I'm going to go on a bit of a so tangent now. Learn. I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent yeah, here. Yeah, go for it. This kind of, this, go for I, it. I didn't tell you when I was watching this. This, okay. this kind of reminded me of a um, Stephen King novel and it's also a okay. um, TV series. 
a similar concept. It's called the Langoliers. Have you have you heard of this, Indigo? No, I haven't. Okay, so um, it's really great, mate. So a similar sim- similar concept, which like delves into like kind of like what happens. Actually, you know what? Just cut this, mate. It's fucking. It's it it's it's too much for tangent. Cut it. Wait, no, no, no. Go for it. Cut go it. for it. I want to hear. Cut, it. cut, cut. No, go, go. Oh, no, no. You can't do that. I want to hear. Just, oh. just try and summate it in like, just so I can. All right. Essentially, delves with like what happens to the past once it mm-hmm. once it fades away. So essentially, like, uh, interesting. People travel back in time on accident, right? And then we okay. see like these langoliers, these creatures that pop up. And they essentially are responsible for just getting rid of the past. They they eat the past oh. essentially. So it's very fucking time eaters. Time eaters in a way. It's very like well, this is kind of what these things. Yeah, are. Yeah, it's very similar. That's interesting. But anyway, okay. <laughs> so so what what what's the what's the difference there that makes you kind of like? Is there is there something in this episode in particular that? Oh, it's just an interesting observation. That is an interesting. It's just observation. an interesting interesting observation. No, 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 I like that. I, I've, I've, I've never read that, but I didn't. So it almost sounds like it's. Pro- it was probably these were inspired by that. Perhaps, I would say. Perhaps. Um, what do you think about? There's one element of this story that I never understood, and I still don't fully understand because I've not really seen it in any other. Mm. You know how sometimes you'll see a classic time travel trope, mm. and then I feel like it missed. There's there's something here, and I feel like if it's a classic time travel trope, it's not one that I've ever seen before, and it's the looping of the car. I didn't get that. Like, that's meant to kill him. All right, so we're gonna jump forward a little bit, okay? Yeah, I just want I just want to get your thoughts. Oh, on. I don't understand, mate. I don't I don't know what it is. Is time itself giving giving him a chance to correct the error? Is that why the car is looping? I think that that's meant to be the inference. It's like that the timeline is broken. It's trying to repair itself? Like what? And, 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 and like, yeah, it's really interesting because we, we, what we learned from, from the doctor is that the Reapers, like time, what Rose has done, time has been damaged and the Reapers, the doctor describes it, have come to sterilize the wound. But they're kind of just killing things all over the world the inference is that they're all over planet earth mm. and this is all happening everywhere and this church might be one of the last fragments of humanity but there might be other ones like it but eventually everyone will kind of die out to these things um but the but it's 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 almost like uh, something you pointed out was that the cars looping like not where he inig- he initially died yeah um like because cause he was on his way to the church. Then he's like, oh, I've got to go change my shirt or something. So they go back to the house. But I don't think he was that close to the church when he when he initially died. I don't think. and Because that's why Jackie's like it was a hit and run driver. No one saw who it was. And he died alone. Because otherwise, if he died out the front of the church and everyone saw it, then like Jackie would have run and been with him when he died. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so like, it's it's almost like car that was going to kill him is now following him and looping back around the church now and just waiting for time to be corrected but even if it does get corrected which it does spoiler um it's not exactly the same anymore so how much of a difference is is acceptable like for the time reapers or for like what what degree of difference because jackie now gets Mm. to see him die 
Where she didn't and then, originally. And then Rose gets to be with him from so a distance. So what is... And so what's the... Obviously, mm, we're not going to get this answer. What but what is... Mm. Like, like five degree of separation? Is that like... Is that acceptable like for the Reapers? Is is yeah. someone living when they meant to when they were meant to die? Is that paradox too fucking just too intense for them, and they have to like they have to step in? Like, what is the what is the the limit that they that you can get away with in changing mm. things? Yeah, that's what's interesting. That's what I find quite interesting. I mean, I think it's clearly just a, an example. I would say of like weaving the narrative to fit what you want it to do yeah. without giving explanation is simply what it is. Yeah. Like, I'd love an in-universe reason for it because, yeah, it's not exactly the same by the end. But like you said, like, what's the difference? Is it simply that the death is so, like, it's so monumentous, it must be corrected. And then once the death, it, it the inference is that once the death occurs, time's prepared. But there is definitely a, a variation between how he died originally and how he dies in this new timeline. But it's enough for the Reapers. So anyway, I, I, what I like in this, thing. I quite like Chris almost um, succumbing to the fact that there's nothing he can really do, I feel. Like yep. he's kind of just trying to buy them time, but he kind of knows that there's nothing he can do really, you know. Yeah, he's kind of in the church for a lot of it going to Rose. I just don't have a plan. Like, I've really got no idea how I'm going to get out of this. We learn later that Pete, when Pete puts it together, that he thinks the doctor worked out ages ago that he'd need the data corrected, but he was trying to do everything he could to find a different way for Rose. Um, so he was, even when he was pissed off with her, he was, he was without telling her, prepared to try and find another way, and it just doesn't pay off in the end. Um, like we'll get, we'll get to all that. Like, firstly, let's talk a little bit about Pete and Rose. Um, we get to see them alone more and it's, it's a 45 minute episode of television. Okay. Mm. So I think it's a really, it's really on the actors. And I think, I think, I mean, I'm not going to make any, I haven't made any secret about this at all. Like I think Sean Dingwall absolutely smashes it as, as Pete's father. And I think Billy Piper kills it. I think it's a really well-written script. Um, But I think, you know, I try and think of this from a real life kind of viewpoint, I suppose. Mm. And, and I go, like, it's very hard for a 45-minute episode of television, unlike a novel, say, or maybe even a fe- feature film that would deal with it in, like, 90 to, to two hours runtime, 90-minute to two-hour runtime. Like, it's hard to buy that someone would piece together that this is a time traveler from the future and that it's his daughter, mm. I think. I think from a real-life perspective, you would... How long would it actually take you, do you think, to actually get to that? You probably wouldn't, mate. It's so out of left field. Do you know what I'm saying? It's so out of left field. Imagine if everything happened as it did and there was someone in your life. Like, imagine getting to the point in your mind where you go, oh, you call me dad, this, that. You're my my daughter, aren't you? Like, it's such a crazy fucking like- I don't know how he can even believe that because, you know what? I pointed this out to Indigo. Rose's eyes. What what, what did I say? Oh, yeah. What about like Rose's eyes? The baby's eyes are, are are blue and Rose's eyes are brown. Like the baby <laughs> they used doesn't actually even have 
brown eyes, which was quite a funny little thing that that Josh pointed out. But do you know what I mean? Like it, it's a huge thing now, and, and like I said, it's forty five minutes, so that they've got to get to where they want the story to get to. They don't have all the time in the world. They kind of just have to have the characters make that leap of logic, and the actors do sell it, in my opinion, and it all works, but just purely from a thing like you can see that if you had more time to draw that out and really have that realization because it once it happens pete kind of act properly accepts that and then his questions more go towards like so so like do you all have like time machines from from where like you are is that like standard and she's like no this is like the doctor has it it's not normal at all and then we get into the stuff of like was I like, you know, what was I like? Was I a good father? And Rose, I suppose, like in the moment, just starts saying all the shit that Jackie told her. Or maybe even just what she imagined her father to be like if she had her, had him around. And Pete just knows that that's not, he's like, that's just not me at all. And he kind of knows that that's not what he would have done. And it's a really, really nice, I think. Mm. Really well executed and, like, really cool writing, like, where that character goes, like, I'm hearing what you're saying, but that is so not who I am. And I think it's later on, like, like you know, we have another inter- another kind of altercation where the Doctor and Rose are talking and he's going, don't touch the baby and he's kind of losing at it again, you know, you can't do anything right, this, that. He's very harsh in this episode, but he's just standing firm in this is a grave situation and I'm not going to just let you off the hook. Uh, tell me you're sorry, you know? And then, and we get nice scenes scattered through where the doctor, you know, puts Jackie in her place at one point, because I've always wanted to say this, go and close the doors and kind of alphas her a little bit and, and then a couple says, you know, are you going to help us get out? Like, we're getting married and I know we're not important. The doctor has a nice moment where he he goes, I've never had a life like that where, you know, it's two in the morning catching a taxi home and you meet someone like, don't think for one second that you're not important in all of this. I really love that about the ninth doctor. He has moments throughout his one season with characters that are just one-off characters where his doctor may be better than any other doctor before him or after him. Like some, some just perfectly summates the human experience and goes like you, you do matter and humans will prevail. There's these moments of optimism through, through Chris's run where he really sells it for me in a way that other doctors don't always stop and smell the roses like that Mm. with characters. I don't think we've ever had another doctor really do that. I I mean, unless I'm wrong, I can't think of another doctor that has beats like that throughout their tenure. Um, I don't know. It's really cool. And then we get to the point where he sacrifices himself. Yeah. As the oldest thing in the room, you know, he kind of... We see Chris without his jacket. see Chris without the jacket, yeah, we, 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 Yeah, cool. we see him without his jacket. We see him, like, with a bit of hope for a second. The TARDIS is coming back. I'm going to get you out. Like, I'll, well, you'll have that wedding. Let's go. And then Rose does touch the baby. Oh, 
she's done it again and lets them through and the doctor kind of has to improvise in that moment and he kind of observes he's the oldest thing in that room and everyone kind of stand behind him. he gets mangled doesn't he chris oh, gets God, mangled by the reapers sun filter um, rise moment sun filter rising like you've kind of the doctor's dead the doctor just gets absolutely mauled to death and and that's it like the doctor's dead for a second and like rose is trying to kind of come to no regeneration no regeneration he's mauled to death there is no time for regeneration this guy is like when you when you watch it on screen he's he's just ripped apart (laughs) there's no blood or anything because they can't show that but he is ripped apart by this creature and that's it the doctor's gone like he's he was prepared enough to die that he wouldn't set the timeline right so um and then no, nah, Pete's already figured that out. I think he notices the loop of the car and it doesn't, it just doesn't, I think it just all clicks for him and he goes, I know why I never did anything with my life. I know why this or that, like I was meant to die to that, to that car and you, that's why you're here on this random day. Like you came back and you, you didn't just like, you know. Very big leap in logic. Me. Very big leap in logic for him to to, to figure that out, maybe. See, I think for me, the the leap of logic that I can't, that I find very difficult is the leap of logic of um, the time traveler. I think that that, to me, I understand narratively why you've got to get him there and why you want to get him there. It just feels like a huge leap for an actual human being to make. I think if you made that leap, if you started to piece together in your mind, oh, my daughter's here, she's from the future, why is she here on this random day when Sharon Clark gets fucking married? Oh, that's a bit of a coincidence that she just happened to save my life earlier when I met her. I think you could you could do the math eventually with enough time and think maybe more time than's granted in this episode, but I think you could eventually maybe make that thing of maybe maybe she saved my life and she wasn't meant to because it's random that she just saves his life at the beginning of the episode when she's come back to see him. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of lucky. I think he actually remarks on that. It was kind of lucky you were here, wasn't it? And Rose passes it off. And I think that at this point he's, he's watched the car enough and he goes like, I think I know what I've got to do. The doctor worked it out. He wasn't going to do it. So I'll, I'm in charge now and I'm going to do it. And there's a nice moment with Jackie. There's a nice moment with Rose. And then, and then that's it. He goes off and, and corrects it. Again, we're on BBC here. Uh, it's prime time. There's kids watching. There's no blood. And he gets <laughs> run over by the car. He looks so peaceful. Um, he looks like me on, you know lying I mean? on the couch. Like, Yeah. Yeah, no no blood. So, But he passes away. It's interesting because we do see the memory again. We see the me- We see... Jackie recalling now in her story to a younger Rose that there was a woman from afar, like a blonde woman from afar held his hand, but Jackie doesn't seem to know that it was Rose. That's the interesting thing. It's like the timeline's restored itself, yet even though Jackie met Rose in Father's Day... That I didn't get. It's almost like it's it's undone her interactions because... She doesn't, because otherwise you could argue that Jackie 
would be rocking rocking up in episode one when the doctor goes through the door and going, you're the fucking guy from, from 1987, the wedding. You're that guy. She doesn't like, yeah. it's like the memories are undone and otherwise she'd go, hang on, the fucking chick that was at the wedding that day was my daughter or like, or, or, or she'd remember just straight up that, that her daughter Rose is, do you know what I mean? Like, so it's like it undoes that, but I don't, I, I, I can't recall seeing that in science fiction before is that just a trope that they've just gone fuck it it's too difficult too hard basket well it's kind of like uh, i guess it's kind of like it's more what is it it's more fucking convoluted than in back to the future like where marty you, marty's parents don't recognize him as calvin klein like why don't they know that this like but that that's yeah like you could people see that's another you, example you, you could but- argue that like well how does she never realise like, that he's like Calvin he was that he was that fucking kid, he was that kid back in the fifties that, that yeah, got us could, together like that's, but that's, I mean exactly, again no, again I've then again that's like that's that. twenty five years removed though like it's it's a long time and you don't have maybe you well, don't, this is only this isn't that much longer but you don't like, have photo, if you don't baby, here's the thing if you don't have a Rose photo of, yeah but if you don't have a photo of someone you might just forget what they look like honestly I mean maybe may, maybe you could argue that for Back to the Future and this story but. I mean, this story, she literally, they literally learn, like, yeah. that's the difference, well, like, Exactly, like, why Why do they like, learn, forget the fact that there was a time travel and, and reapers and all this shit, like, and what happened, what happened, like, to, what happened yeah. to, but then, like, the guy comes back to life as well, the, the, the not groomsman, only that, not the only groomsman's that, like, dad. Like, they literally learn that I, like, like, unlike Back to the Future, like, in this circumstance we're talking about now, she not only learns, like, Jackie not only learns that, their their time travel. It's she literally learns that it's Rose from the future, and then so, they suddenly forget, like in an instant, which is very bizarre. Because, like, yeah, I don't know, but don't know, man. It's a really good question to ask. Like, I think that it's just something they must have just gone fuck it, put it in the too hard basket. But and it's not a, a lot of these nitpicks. I'll say they're not enough for me to deter from the enjoyment. I, I really enjoy Father's Day. I just it it's just mm. interesting little things that you go. They're not fleshed out and mm. and it and it leaves you with that question of like oh from an in universe reason like why how was it reset to the point where that's also now undone because mm. also the other people come back to life that were t- that were killed all the people at the wedding that were killed by the reapers all return including the doctor when time's corrected but anyway so um i yeah i, I really liked it man like i'm yeah. not like that's pretty much everything I, I think I wanted to say about it, to be honest. I was going to ask you what your ranking was. Like, where does this sit on your Thunder Nerds <sighs> I think ranking this, this scale? this one has to be... I, th- I thought about it just, just as we're talking. I think middle yeah. middle Thunderbird 1. So, uh, it's it's yeah. it's Thunderbird 1, maybe middle of that ranking where it's probably... I could imagine that there's... I think, like, Dalek is, is be- was better... Yeah, I was gonna um, say that. Like, it's 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 like it's very good, but it's if you would have ranked it in Thunderbird One territory, you'd middle. probably rank it below Dalek. It yeah. wouldn't be like so I'd say middle. Dalek would be like top top middle. Um, yeah. there are like yeah, there are just a few little 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 little, little uh, details that you can pull apart, and maybe that's just the nature of time travel stories. It's kind of not that much they can do, but it's you know uh, didn't really you know destroy my. Uh, enjoyment of it so I, I yeah middle middle thunderbird one yeah i guess so yep. that's why i would rank I, it i think that i'm going to give it exactly the same i think i rank it middle thunderbird one i don't think it's uh 
better than Dalek, but I think it's probably after watching it in this run through, it's it's at this point the second best story of this season, like oh, totally, easily. Totally. So, um, so yeah. So I, I'd say that probably Rose. I think we we gave that a Thunderbird one as a, especially given its status as a pilot of 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 Doctor Who and relaunching it. We put that into Thunderbird one territory for me. That would be like just etching into Thunderbird one as we move through this series. It's still very good. It's in Thunderbird one, but this is a tier above Rose. Yes, it's a tier below Dalek. That's what so, I'd say. Um, yeah, that's our ranking for this one, people. Uh, if you've got any questions uh, regarding uh, you know, Doctor Who, um, Star Trek, uh, the retrospectives we're doing. Um, if you'd like to see any reviews done of classic Doctor Who stories, please let us know. Thundernerd1 is go at gmail.com. Um, that's numeral one. Um, let us know. But until next time, and what do we have next time? It'll be Star Trek, uh, I think it's episode 10. Episode 10 of TNG. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I wonder what that is. I'm not sure, but um, I'm very keen. We're, we're, we're getting through there, people, with Star Trek. We're getting through there. Honestly, I um, I, I just, just thinking about this now because I, I forgot to mention it in our The Battle uh, podcast, I noted that when I was reading through the wiki page of The Battle, at the very bottom of the wiki page... It said C also, and it had an episode listed there as if that episode somehow had some relation to the battle. And I read it and I went, oh, that's where I want to get up to. And it said, C also, season two story, Measure of a Man. Oh. And I've heard that title said before by Josh, and I read that and I went, Oh, what does the battle have to do with oh. the measure of a man? Why is that in the see also section? So um, we're getting through it, and I just want to get to, you know, I want to get past season one of TNG. We'll get past the like, dark land of season it's weird. one. It's like, it's like we're, we've got this weird alternate dimension where, like, season one of Doctor Who is absolutely cracked good. Like, it's goaded. And, like, I don't want it to end. And then on the other end, I'm waiting for Star Trek TNG to just hit form. And I'm, I'm my feeling is that that's not going to be until season one's over, essentially. So Definitely not, they're kind mate. of on alternating paths. But anyway, Thunder Nerds, until next time. Switching to horizontal flight. Over and out, Hefe B, father. Father.